SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. Leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. Songezo Mapete on the Viewpoint. Greetings, Songezo. It's McDonald speaking here in Pretoria, Maupane. I um, just want to confirm the definition of being an African, not the definition which we are given by white people for this moment as we live. Uh, somebody can come from United States or Europe and buy a citizen. Does it, does it make him an African man or African person? Does, it, does not the definition talk about the roots where you're coming from? is an African origin. Fantastic. Prof. Ntuli, respond to that, please. That definition from McDonald's in relation to what constitutes an African. I mean, I mean, an African is uh, anybody that is, uh, say, born and bred uh, in, in Africa. Citizenship means where you were born. That is why earlier on I had to use Robert Sobukwe that being an African is not enough. You have to be an Africanist. Because if an Africanist, I don't mean party political, just generally, is that you are pledging your commitment to Africa, that Africa comes first to you. What's the point of being an African when we are serving American interests? What will be the point of being an African when you are serving Chinese, Japanese, or anybody else's uh, you know, thing? So we are here, we've got our own heritage. That's why the issue of the land becomes very, 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 very important because you cannot define any, any nationality outside the land out of which they were born. Here's something I wish to read for those who wish to understand still who the guest is this evening for the Tuesday takeover. A short exchange between him and me will follow until about 10 past, after which we will then go to the African narrative. And the question we are posing there is, can we use African indigenous knowledge to tackle COVID-19? A conversation with Ms. Nombulelo Shange, who is a lecturer in the Department of Sociology at the University of the Free State. Just to, if you like, introduce that particular segment. Here's something I wish to read, and I want to ask Professor to respond to. I started as a traditional healer and that led me to art. He remembers being initiated by his uncle who asked him to sit before a dead tree until it spoke to him. The tree remained silent until the young Duli started to imagine how it would look like if it were a human being. He says, I saw the branches and shouted viva. Then my uncle said, it looks like the tree has spoken to you. In his meditative state, Nduli saw figures in the wood a long time before he became a sculpture. Later, when he was already in exile, he took a hammer and chisel and started to carve a dead piece of wood and brought forth the person his uncle wanted him to see. According to Nduli the artist, his healing, spirituality and sculpture all emanate from that moment. That's a deep moment. Your uncle got to engage you in a manner no book or formal schooling could, but in a manner that speaks to ultimately who the African people are. They engage with nature, 
they engage with ancestry, they engage with their inner being in the most imaginative and physical sense. And the combination of that comes out a piece of wood to the next person. But for you, according to the artist, his healing, spirituality and sculpture all emanate from that moment. Let's talk about indigenous African knowledge systems and related epistemologies that have got so much of us, potential, kinetic even, trapped because the world order doesn't recognize it as knowledge. Yeah, what happens is that uh, for over the many years, me with Catherine Odora Hoppers, we're given a task of developing ideas around the indigenous knowledge systems. So that's what we worked out and uh, you know, developed to try to find out what it is. I want to go back to very quickly mm. uh, to the we are governed by Newtonian physics. It's a physics of binary opposites, good, bad, and all. Nothing. Everything is reduced to the head, away from the spirit. You got your own headquarters, headlights, headmistress, head teacher. I'm heading for. I'm heading, you know, for all of this, you know, stuff. Whereas in Africa, we are people of interconnectedness. If I am because you are, we are people who are interconnected. From my indigenous knowledge system, I'll tell you this. We are told that the cleverest man that ever lived in the world was Albert Einstein because he solved the problem of space and time. That there's no space and time. There's a space-time continuum. You cannot separate these two. In my language, Isizulu, time is isikati. Space is umkati. Once we've got umkati and iskati, these two are indivisible. So in our heritage, in our own philosophy, in our own, in our own science, right, we anticipated uh, 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 what quantum physics uh, was there, you know, to be, you know, telling us about. That's why we've got this limela, we are guided by the stars when we move. That's why when we pray in our indigenous churches, we are in a circle in here symbolizing the earth. Even when we drink the umbili, the, the, the ukamba, uh, the calabash we have is round. When you mix that liquor there, it's wow. like the earth rotating on its axis once in, 20, in 24 hours, causing day and night. And from there, when it comes to me to drink, then we're beginning a revolution of the different climates. I start sober, I become nicer, you know, as it is. When I'm in church, the priest stands in the middle. When I'm in a, 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 a nightclub, a black people, we end up in a circle. Make the circle Someone big. Someone must actually get them all out. No ruler must remain forever. All our systems are there, organized by cyclicality as an organizing principle in our thought, which links to the heavenly bodies. 75,000 years ago, we calculated the megalith, that is in waterfall Boven, called uh, uh, in Adam's calendar. Mm. In uh, Leidenberg, Mashishini, we have got... Uh, uh, sculptures made out of terracotta that were done 500 AD 
here in this country, just Google Leitenberg heads, you'll find that is what has happened. We are going to find that the oldest freestanding painting was found here in Namibia 27,000 years ago in Apollo Cave Number 2. We are told that we arrived here simultaneously with the white people because we are trying to suppress what happened before. Our Stone Age and our Iron Ages are still undug actually together here to show us what we have actually you know, been around here and none of our universities seem to be taking these things so much seriously that we could carry out the archaeology of our knowledge systems. Talking about the archaeology of African knowledge systems in particular, the question then that is being asked this evening, can we use African indigenous knowledge to tackle the problems of the world of the 21st century? And of course, the biggest problem that the world over is facing now, today, yesterday, last week, last month, last year even, is COVID-19. Ms. Nombulelo Shange is a lecturer in the Department of Sociology at Kofsi's University of the Free State, that is. You've heard some of what Professor Nduli has said, Ms. Shange. Perhaps you might use Use that as the basis of what you have to say then in answering that question. Can we use African indigenous knowledge to tackle, for instance, COVID-19? Good evening. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me um, on the show, Songhezo. Um, I definitely agree with the professor. Um, there's a lot that we have to do and we have to consider in trying to um, tackle some of the, not not just the health issues, but also um, some of the other unseen issues. So there's been a lot of um, tallies around what the cost to human life has been when it comes to this, to this virus, but it's very difficult to tally other things such as um, rates of, of, of poverty, how are, how are those going to increase as a result of this, um, and, and many other social issues. But just to just to go back to the discussion on what indigenous knowledge can do for us um, in tackling coronavirus, we we have to really um, we really have to dig deep in our knowledge systems, as Professor Tuli has already alluded to. Mm. Um, there's there's a lot that we're not um, considering. For instance, if we even think about um, modern day vaccines and the way that they exist today, um, that the core of that methodology of that knowledge came from from africans um it came from a slave who was named by his slave master as um onesimus a biblical um name and he was quite instrumental and monumental in in sharing this information of a practice that was quite commonly used in africa at the time um but that hadn't been discovered by um european health professionals um, who were who were dealing with at the time the smallpox pandemic. So, if we think about how a slave was able to um, significantly change healthcare in the 1700s, if we are able to put our knowledge systems at the center in dealing with health, in dealing with education, in dealing with a variety of issues that we find ourselves faced with, um, coupling those with um, some of the modern-day technological advances, um, we need to consider what could be achieved if this is done. I think the results of what could be achieved could really be greater than anyone can imagine. 
Do you want to respond to that, Prof. Nduli, in relation to how those outlying spaces, those outlying stories and narratives, for so long as they remain on the periphery, that society is that much poorer? No, 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 no. She definitely, she definitely is right. Do you know, uh, for instance, to talk indigenous knowledge system, when you talk about, uh, 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 you know, Alo, Inshaba, for instance, that's what people will do. You break it up and you wipe up your hand. It's a sanitizer. Uh, those are sanitizers. You talk about Mshonyana. Uh, that deals with the viruses. We talk about Ichungu, some of the medicines that are, are there. That deals with all of these uh, you know, viruses. But when we started consulting, when the virus uh, you know, came, we didn't even approach our traditional healers uh, to be part of the people you know, to, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, to advise us, you know, because we feel that the traditional healers are, are, are back there. We prefer traditional leaders because we feel they've got power. So, in other words, indigenous knowledge system, that uh, that bill that has been signed a few months ago, you know, by, you know, the president, carries within itself the very gem around which we must be able uh, to utilize if we are to build the knowledge systems that are going to make us proud of uh, 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 who we are as an African people. Do we have then a repository that we could immediately draw from, Ms. Shange, in relation to unearthing these African indigenous knowledge systems. There are many migrant communities who have histories in this country, the San and the Khoi and the Nama people mm-hmm. from fighting persecution have had to, in a sense, live off the earth and engage new societies the more the influx from outside the continent and from north of the continent came. The migrant communities, for instance, when you talk about the Bantu people who through the ages migrated down south. When you talk about those who came onto this continent through the boats, we certainly have all the knowledge systems available to humanity, if you like. And you look at the slave trade coming from far east across the Indian Ocean and finding refuge here on the continent. All of these innate species of human beings with features to them and histories to them and knowledge systems to them that are now here in South Africa. How then, in the 21st century, in a very technological age, can we harness all of these indigenous knowledge systems and draw patents from them so that we can get out and be flying high with what we know we have? Well, I think... I think there's a few things that have to be done, some of which have been done. There's already quite um, a lot of research on on on, on, on these types of um, knowledge systems. Um, so that work needs to carry on. And I think in a lot of ways, that's our responsibility as academics and as people who find ourselves doing scholarly work. But also, I think we, we can't um, pretend or think that um, our way of doing things, our discourse can ever um, replace um, the authentic original ways that Khoisan do things, that um, various Bantu groups and other indigenous groups do things. So I think there's, there's a very real conversation that needs to be had about how um, we also start having um, uh, indigenous group-led initiatives. So it can't always be that it's 
it's a researcher who comes into this um, space or into this community to say, I will take your knowledge and make it meaningful, or a government person or a pharmaceutical or, or whatever. It needs to be initiatives and, and, and strategies and plans that actually come from the groups themselves because, um, as um, we've already said, they, they, they have a wealth of knowledge and um to try and sort of speak for them, to try and sort of represent this information for them um, could end up um, potentially being a disservice to what the information is or to what the information is intended for. Um, And it it also could potentially end up playing into this um, Western sort of way of, 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 of producing knowledge, which sees um, community knowledge, that sees indigenous knowledge. Hold on to that thought, We're going to take a break. Just hold on to that, please. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 106.6 FM in Bloemfontein. Prof. Ntuli, Mr. Shange raised a very important point in terms of the more you extract indigenous knowledge systems from their sources, the more you dilute. That's, I think, the sense of what she was saying at the end. Let me ask that mm. question in this sense then, Professor Anduli, because Ms. Shange is there. And Ms. Shange, I'd like your response after Professor Anduli has given his. How then do we hold on to, harness, and record that IKS, indigenous knowledge system, that is trapped? with a community or communities who are on the periphery of the mainstream, on the periphery of technology, politically on the periphery, by language they are on the periphery, by number, if you look at the Khoi and San community, some of their languages are dying, for instance, the new language. How then do those IKSs trapped in those communities get harnessed without extracting from their source? That's the question I have. For instance, look at medicine. Traditional Western medicines are available readily anywhere you go. Even your funders, your your medical aides will pay for them. But when you start talking about homeopathic care and your allied health workers in relation to amayeza, traditional herbs, they are not recognized. And yet COVID, if there's one thing it has proven, none of the Western medicines as they existed before COVID or during COVID have proven effective. We were told, boost your immune systems, drink lengane mklonyane, make sure that the plant-based diets are high in your concentration in fighting COVID. How then do we get to generate that information, harness it and record it without losing its very essence for its source? Ndadendul. You see, we are living in what is now called uh, the fourth industrial revolution. That's where the solution uh, lies. With the fourth industrial revolution, I can take my cameras, I can take everything, and go to the remotest area in the Eastern Cape and find a 95-year-old Gogo who still has got that, that knowledge system. We can record all of the, these things and, and save them through the technology that... Uh, 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 you, you know that we have. We can then sit down and then package uh, our mshonyanes, our chungus, and all of these things in, in, on our own. Part of the 
uh, other places that were confronted with uh, a, you know, problems such as this. Like, for instance, when you look at the Italian Renaissance, the Italian Revolution, it went back to the Greco-Roman you know, people and documented its own knowledge you know, system. And those knowledge systems were to come up in books, they had to come out in, 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 in the sciences, they had to come out in, in arithmetic. Let me give you just one quick example when we talk indigenous knowledge. Whether you are counting in, in Sipedi or in Sizulu, right? You say, uh, for instance, Gunye, Gubili, Gutatu, Gune, you add up to four. When you come to five, you're no longer adding. Klanu yaklanugela. You are symbolizing. Stupa, wazalama tupa. Skombisa, you are indicating. You add up to four, five, six, seven, you are symbolizing. Eight and nine, you are subtracting. Shia kalumbili, shia kalumbili. When you say 10, you are resolving. People have been teaching this for 50 years, but because they don't know the very language, we can't talk about indigenous knowledge unless we start with the issue of our language, speak in our language, write in our language, get the facts in our own uh, in our languages. That's why ultimately we say, yes, is already there are two people. The law of Udisiwe has been taught all those Western things and the rest. Lofundile has learned from everybody else and from themselves and from their own culture. Beautiful. Let's take a caller from Mohammed Mishange. I am going to come back to you. Mohammed in Durban, good evening. Hi, good evening, Songezo. How are you? Well, sir, how do you do? I'm very well. Thanks for asking, mm. Songezo. Yeah, Songezo, now I was just listening to the show and you know what? I really, really enjoyed the show because I listen to it all the time. Thank you, sir. Uh, I'm a very big fan of you, just to let you know. <laughs> I'm humble. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Mohammed. No problem. So, Songhezo, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of the topic that I'm listening to, the heritage and stuff. So, I just wanted to make a comment. Sure. I just wanted to say that I'm, I'm actually uh, Indian, South African, uh, but I'm a very proud South African, to be fair. Very, very proud South African. And uh, I know you guys were talking about this. Um, I'm, I'm actually taking you a little bit back, uh, but just to catch up, because I tried calling and you guys were a bit busy, so... Uh, yeah, what I want to really, no, not a problem at all, Sangeza. What I wanted to say was that uh, the proud South African uh, from within me actually got me to call and you know to 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 make this so-called comment on the line. And I just want to say that you know the the the, the Jerusalem of South Africa and the uh, what can I say the uh, yeah that's the Jerusalem of South Africa has 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 really bubbled in me, and that's the reason why I actually give you, gave you guys a call. And uh, I agree with uh, Professor Antuli when he speaks about the African, Africanist, something to that effect. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to say that, and I wanted to, you know, to know from his side, Professor Antuli, I wanted to know from his side, me being uh, Indian South African and me making this comment, you know, how does he actually feel uh, about, you know, an Indian speaking to you guys uh, about this topic, but... Uh, at the same token, you know, being so proud of being South African, although I acknowledge that I'm actually Indian. Fantastic. And the, the, yeah, and, and seeing that he's uh, a Zulu speaker, I just want to say that the X, the Q, and the C of South Africa is within us, even though, you know, we have uh, different cultures and different races. And when I speak about the X, Q, and C, the X is, uh, he, he will know because he's a Zulu speaker, the X is like for, you know, the closer, and the C is for like, uh, 
and uh, the cue is like if you say Makuzumane. Fantastic. You know, something to that effect. So if, if you know, if, if a South African, because I'm... I'm Mohammed, I'm, I'm going to have to ask you to hold there because I really am running out for time and I would love Ms. Shange and Professor Anduli to respond. I appreciate your contribution and I mean no disrespect. Perhaps, Ms. Shange, you might want to respond to both the question that I posed to you to which Professor Anduli responded and any takeaway you have from Mohammed's contribution. In a minute, perhaps, please, Ms. Shange. Um, I struggled to hear Mohammed's comments, so I'll only respond to your Very question. Very well. Um, I think that um, we need to be careful not to um, perpetuate more of the epistemic violence that researchers have done historically in terms of engaging with communities and indigenous groups. We need to start ensuring that whatever solutions that we come up with, they are people-led, they are indigenous group-led, even if it means collaborating with academics, but on an equal playing field and not just as subjects to have information extracted from and then legitimized through the Western um, ways and forms of research. It needs to be something that people need. Fantastic contribution. An opinion article by Nombulelo Shange, lecturer in the Department of Sociology at the University of the Free State. It is titled, Can We Use African Indigenous Knowledge to Tackle COVID-19? If you want answers in relation to decolonizing knowledge systems, the story of Onesimus' role in defeating smallpox and the creation of a vaccine at the time where 30% of the population there was decimated, the role of traditional healers and the possessing, and their possessing rather, a wealth of knowledge and of course the prior and the need to do so in valuing our own knowledge systems. All of those are covered in that article. Can we use African indigenous knowledge to tackle COVID-19? Prof. Nduli, it has been great having you. Do you want to say goodbye to the people, perhaps in 10 seconds, in a way that only best you can do? Yeah, I can just only answer uh, Mohammed, who has saying uh, him speaking, speaking as an Indian. What we chose for this program in here, we chose Ari Sitas, who is a white man but who is an African more than many of the Africans that I know. We chose this so that other people that are in there know that it is not just about color, it's about the content of what uh, uh, we are. So, Mohammed, uh, as a Mohammed, you must therefore be in favor of uh, Palestine. I'll give just one short poem. Sons and daughters of Palestine, like you, I walked in the country that is my own, by not my own. They killed a child in Gilon. I went there to go and plant a flower. Already a red flower was growing. And with my tentative finger, I put my finger on the flower. It came back dripping with blood. And with my dripping blood, I wrote freedom, you know, for Palestine on the clouds. And the Israeli government arrested the cloud. I arrest my case. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Prof. Nduli. Thank you so much as well, Mr. Velefini Mflongo Kwamashu. Welile Digile from Tolo in the Eastern Cape and MM. Your contributions this evening and everybody whose names has not been mentioned this evening, of course, with my anchor guest, we bid you all a good evening.